You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Like Tim said, we're going to be starting a new sermon series this morning going through the epistles of John. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because, well, John, who's John the Apostle, the disciple Jesus loved, um, this John, while he did write these letters to a specific Christian community sometime around 90 AD, um, I know that we'll find, as we go through them over the next couple of months, that the, the themes and subject matter addressed within are, are still very much applicable and important to us as Christians today. And, and the, the reason for that is one of the, the same reasons that John makes uh, repeatedly throughout his letters, and it's that the word of life doesn't change. It's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, it's applicable to us yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, this is John's main point, and we'll also find that in the introduction this morning. He's calling Christians that, that have strayed or, or wandered off or been deceived or are unsure of their faith. He's calling them back. He's calling them to trust in this truth that's existed from the beginning. The very same word that they'd heard and received from the beginning of their faith. He's calling them back to this, this steadfast and eternal truth in Jesus Christ. And it's the same call for us. It's constantly the same call for us and a call that we constantly need to hear. So without further ado, then let's open our Bibles now to 1 John 1. We'll be reading the first four verses. So 1 John 1. One to four. He writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we pro- proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven. And I'd I'd say that's a, a pretty accurate analysis uh, Romans 14 agrees when, when it says, for, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God cares about our joy. He wants us to be people of joy. He wants us to know and experience joy in both him and with one another. Before going to the cross, in fact, Jesus tells his disciples specifically that he wants his joy to be in them. And he wants their joy to be complete. And then he'll send his Holy Spirit over them to to assure them of it. And in the same vein, it was the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross for our sins. And the psalmists, we're reading through the Psalms, the psalmists are also repeatedly singing of the joy that they have in God and his faithfulness and his mercy, even through times of hardship and sorrow. And And in the passage from this morning, John, of course, is only echoing this desire of God's heart that their joy may be complete. Their joy is his motivation. Their joy is his motivation in writing this letter. But not just any joy. 
Because it's easy to find feelings or moments of joy and happiness in, in, in a lot of things, right? God did design creation to be enjoyed after all. So, for example, we can achieve feelings, and joy, uh, feelings of joy in things like our accomplishments. Right? When we accomplish something, we feel really joyful or happy. Or we can feel joy in going for a walk through a forest trail or spending, times with fr- spending time with friends and family. We can have joy in, as we help somebody out. And getting presents, maybe it brings you joy when you're driving fast down the road, or getting a raise at work, or listening to a good song. Right? We can we can find joy in all that kind of stuff. But John's not really talking about this this kind of temporal joy that's found in circumstances and in feelings and, and in experiences. He's talking about a joy that lasts, a joy that's rooted in identity. A joy that's woven within the heart and soul. A joy that can be known only through being restored by God. In other words, it's a joy that lives and thrives in the presence of God. So the obvious implication here then, for John to want this type of joy to be made complete in them, is that it's currently not complete in them. As if something's missing or like a part of their joy has been robbed from them. And as we go through the letters in greater detail, we'll, we'll find that that's exactly the case. Somehow they've turned from God or, or strayed from God. And as a result, they've cut themselves off from the fullness of his joy. But John, again, an ambassador for the kingdom of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's in this business of heaven. Right? So he desires to see their joy restored. And that's a good goal, right? I think we can all agree that we could use a little bit more joy in our lives. And I'd argue that one of the primary goals of mankind is that search for, for lasting joy and happiness. We, we all want to land there, right? If, if we think about it, our pursuits in lives, the things that we, that we invest in and, and work towards, what, almost always show us that we're looking and waiting and building for that next moment of joy. And in many cases, we endure a lot to get there. But at the same time, I think that there are a lot of things, so I know that there are a lot of things in this life that have a a tendency or an ability to strip us of our joy. Things we we call killjoys. Could be tragedies or or failures, depression, hurts. Doubts, sins, betrayals, this never-ending winter that we've had, right? For me, a killjoy is spending a couple of minutes on Facebook. Uh, for, like, besides a couple of nice posts here and there, for real, it's a, it's a joy-sucking experience for me every time I go on Facebook. Yet I keep finding myself there as if it's going to make me happy somehow. So I know some of you can, can relate to that. Um, but that's kind of the ironic thing about trying to find joy. Quite often, the very things that we chase after to give us joy actually turn out in the end to be killjoys themselves. And this is the case with the Christian community that John's writing to. They had started to chase after things and and beliefs and, and experiences that they thought would bring them more joy and excitement. But in the end, it brought them ruin. It actually caused them to drift away from the true and pure joy that they'd already been given through Jesus Christ. And as we read through the letter, we can, we can surmise from, from the context of it 
that there were many in the community that were causing these problems, that uh, they had started to teach false truths and had uh, possibly been making claims of, of mystical or spiritual experiences and visions and that had supposedly given them new truths and revelations. And, and of course, these, these false prophets, as John calls them, they, they claimed that they had some special spiritual authority uh, or superiority, you know, because they were having these visions. And, and um, as is often the case, people started listening and believing them, despite the fact that their claims about Jesus, their claims about Christian conduct, contradicted both scripture and the gospel message. But again, I'm sure it all sounded exciting and fresh and new. And so many in the church were deceived and they, and they were led astray. So, and John actually addresses all these lies and deceptions later in his letters as he talks about discernment and how we can have discernment and know the truth, which means we'll also be addressing that as, as we go forward. But the point for today is that in chasing after these empty things, they had to leave behind the joy that they'd already been get, given from the beginning. Of course, the result, this is what happens. The result of, of this deception and joylessness actually created tension in the community. So they're seeing things like disunity, pride, anger, lies, selfishness, stubbornness. The list goes on because when our joy is low, right? When we're not feeling joyful, when our joy is low, so is our patience. When our joy is low, so is our love. So is our compassion. So is our grace. Right? If we're in a bad mood, we easily snap at people, right? We're, we're, we're more stubborn. We're more self-centered. And this community was feeling that. In fact, they were most likely on the verge of imploding from within if they hadn't already. John could be writing to one of the first church splits that had ever occurred. And I can bet that, you know, many of us have probably been a part of churches that have been through something like this. It starts with some odd doctrine or, or corruption in leadership or disagreement. Then there's stubbornness and pride. And then before you know it, people are, are getting emotionally and spiritually hurt. And the church is falling apart or splitting at the seams. And joy in those moments is just seemingly sucked right out of the whole picture. I've experienced that. And that's the kind of thing that's happening in this church community that John's addressing. And this obviously concerns him deeply. This concerns him deeply. And, and I want to make that clear. It's so easy to, to gloss over when we read the Bible and just read it kind of surface level without emotion. But I want to make it clear that John's writing this letter with passion, with desperation. He obviously loves and cares dearly about this community of believers that have found themselves broken and in disarray. And, and remember, he knows them. He's friends with them. He's broken bread with them. He shared the gospel truth with them at the beginning. He might have even planted this church. And in Second John, he declares that he longs to visit them again. Why? Because, because he wants their joy to be complete. So again, this, we have to remember that this isn't a bland or even a simple uplifting statement that he's making here. Oh, I just wish your joy would be complete. No, this is, a, this is a desperate and heartfelt call for their joy to be found and made full once again. His heart is breaking for them. And in the same vein, we also can't ignore the fact that John includes himself when he says our joy. 
Right? He's, he's including himself in that. And the implication there is that their lack of joy is having an adverse effect on his joy. Which makes sense, though, right? As, as their spiritual leader, their shepherd, how can his joy feel full if those under his care are lacking in it? And that's definitely a burden that often comes with taking on a, on a shepherd or, or a pastor role in the church. A similar dynamic could be maybe a parent to their wayward children or, or a teacher to a struggling student or a camp counselor to a kid in their cabin that's getting bullied. Right? There's a similar dynamic there. Basically, when we love someone dearly and also have any kind of responsibility for their well-being, we can't help but feel and even carry their burdens with them. When they're emotionally crushed, you're emotionally crushed. When they go through something, you go through it as well. When they're hurt, you're hurt. When Jesus asked Saul on the road to Damascus why Saul was persecuting him, Jesus' implication there was that in persecuting Christians, Saul was directly persecuting Jesus. Jesus felt the pain of his followers. In the same way, when people we lead and love are being led astray or make poor decisions or are being hurt, it affects us deeply as well, right? As, as if we're going through it too. Timothy Keller writes that the greater our love for someone, the greater our potential for anger at what is destructive in their lives. So again, John's love for these people is evident, and therefore I can't imagine how, how great his righteous anger was against those who were causing this destruction, and how great his desire was to see them restored. And while I'm, I'm sure John's heart was deeper and more compassionate than mine, but as, as a pastor, I can definitely relate to him here. As a pastor, you, you always want the best for those in your care, to see them grow in Christ and, and in the word, to see them bear godly fruit, and of course, to know the, the joy that only comes uh, through knowing and dwelling with God. So of course, maybe when, when you see people in our congregation get pulled away from the faith or, or to see people being deceived, which is an all-too-common occurrence in our post-truth era of information overload, right? Or to see people struggling in their lives or to see disunity among believers or, or, or to, to see people leaving the church or to see ungodly decisions being made. It's no less than, than heartbreaking, if I can be honest. It's no less than heartbreaking. When I see a lack of joy in people that I care about and have a responsibility for, it definitely eats away at my joy as well. And it keeps me up at night sometimes. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. Of course it does. How could it not? Unless I was a sociopath who's only in leadership for my ego or for status or money or something. But I don't think I'm a sociopath. <laughs> Jury's still out, I guess, but for real, your sorrow is my sorrow. Your sorrow is my sorrow. And in the same vein, your joy is my joy because I care, because I love this community, because we're in this together. And I'm not complaining here at all, that rather it's my desire as your pastor to bear your burdens with you unto restoration, no matter how hard it might be. And that's John's heart for these people here as well, if not more so. 
So again, the letter that John's writing isn't, isn't a nice airy-fairy sentiment about loving one another and, and being in unity with one another, which is often how we read it. This is a heavy thing. This is a burden of love. John's heart is crying out for a church that's been deceived in their understanding of truth. This is a very personal letter to people he loves that have become broken, that have, be, that have become in disunity and even hateful or arrogant towards one another. So John's heart is breaking for, for them to know true joy again, for their joy to be complete. He wants their joy to be complete. And with that being said, now that we've kind of established how, the, how they've lost part of their joy, let's talk about John's solution to making it complete, a solution which we find in the first three verses. And I, and I want to note really quickly before, sorry, I want to note really quickly before I go further that since this is the introduction of 1 John, uh, this passage is really just an overview that sets the tone for the rest of the letter, which means that first of all, John's points here aren't exhaustive or all-encompassing, but they are foundational. They are foundational. And secondly, since these concepts will be brought up again and again throughout the letter, I'm not going to dwell on them or expand on them too much this morning. Rather, in the same way as the letter, we'll try to set the foundation and tone for the rest of the series. So as John says, we write these things so that our joy may be complete. So what did he write? How can our joy be made complete? How do we find or grow in this joy? And on that, I have four points to make. Number one, our joy is made complete through believing in the word of life. Our joy is made complete through believing in the word of life. First John 1, 1 to 3a, let's read that again. It says, that which is from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So John doesn't beat around the bush in in this letter. He doesn't have any introductions. He just jumps right into it. He gets right to the point, and he writes that the word of life is our foundation. The word of life is trustworthy and steadfast because it existed from the beginning of creation. In other words, all these other other things and, and, and beliefs and philosophies and experiences we might chase after to try to find joy, no matter how new and, and exciting they might seem at first, they, they won't last. They'll, they'll pass away. They're either glimpses of true joy or they're false advertisements of joy. But the word, the word of life, on the other hand, the good news of salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ, that's a truth that has existed since the beginning. And not only that, but the word, he says, was made manifest. That means it was revealed or made physical or made known in the flesh at a particular point in time through Jesus and this is, this is an incredibly important point as well that, as, that we'll expand on as we go through the series. But it's an incredible, incredibly important point because one of the false teachings going around that community and, and other Christian communities was this Gnostic type of idea that Jesus was only spiritual and he was never physical. And if that was the case, there'd be a problem because he wouldn't have been able to take humanity's place as our perfect sacrifice at the cross and die for our sins. 
So John, he's in his introduction, he's already he's already facing that. He's already arguing against that, right? So John reminds him that he's not only seen and heard Jesus, but that he's also touched Jesus. He's reminding them right off the bat that his testimony, which he's proclaiming to them that Jesus has come, is sincere and trustworthy because he's a witness to the historical reality that Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself and became human. The word of life that existed from the beginning came into creation, became flesh, and dwelt among us to not only save us, but reveal the truth and the way to God for us. As Jesus declares about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bottom line then, if if we want a joy that won't fade, if we want a joy that won't fail us, it can only come from something that never fades and never fails. Something eternal, something lasting. So simply put, the, the root of this gift of joy comes through believing in Jesus Christ who was and is and is to come. Romans fifteen thirteen sums it up. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So joy comes, first of all, through believing in Jesus. Which leads us to the second point. Our joy is made complete through fellowship with God. Our joy is made complete through fellowship with God. First John 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John's experienced firsthand the joy that can only come through fellowship with God the Father. And again, this is a relationship that's only made possible through believing in Jesus, because through him, by his grace, by his blood shed for us at the cross, we can now enter into the presence of God with confidence, forgiven of our sin, and made righteous. Through Jesus, we can know the joy of having fellowship with God. And this is important, as C.S. Lewis again writes, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. To know God is to know joy. He's the source. And this community that John's writing to, again, they needed to be reminded of this because their sin had caused them to become distant from God again. It was hindering their fellowship with him. So he's calling them back to the truth, back to Jesus, who can lead them back into this joy they once had as children of God the Father. But this is also a reminder that remaining in joyful fellowship with God also requires obedience and faith, which leads me to the next point. Number three, our joy is made complete as we trust in and live out the word. As we trust in and live out the word. To believe in the word of life, we say, I believe in the word of life, but that's also synonymous with growing in the word and living out that word in our lives. As it says in James, our faith is dead without works, so is our joy, unless we're actively living it out. Jesus tells his disciples this before he went to the cross. He said in John 15, 9 to 11, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He's saying as we abide in Jesus, we can experience the joy that comes from living for him and to him. In other words, we experience the fullness of his joy in us as we keep his commandments, as we live out the word. As we trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I knew some of you would recognize that song from the 80s. Maybe it's the 70s, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> what... On to the next point. One of the joyous parts about laboring for and living out the gospel as well is that, is that we're not called to do it alone. So as we believe in Jesus, as we have fellowship with God, as we, as we live out the word, our joy is made complete through fellowship with one another. Our joy is made complete through fellowship with one another. So what the recipients of John's letter here have discovered up to this point is that the more they've turned to other beliefs and and turned away from God, the more the unity and fellowship that they once had with one another became splintered and destroyed. And so John's reminding them that that for our joy to be complete, we, we need fellowship with one another. He says, if you believe, you'll have fellowship with us. Right? We need the body of Christ. We need unity and togetherness and Christ-centered friendships and, and relationships. And while this fellowship, as we all know, fellowship with other believers is not always going to be going to be perfect and smooth sailing, right? But it's a necessary and deep unity that's rooted in the Spirit of Christ, which only deepens as we study and grow in the Word together, as we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we bear one another's burdens as we serve one another and worship together and, of course, labor in the proclamation of the gospel together. Bottom line, we'll only know the fullness of this eternal joy when we're in authentic fellowship with other believers. And again, as I said before, a huge chunk of First John expands on this subject and the other subjects that I've talked about, so I'm not going to go into it anymore. But the main point this morning is that the source of our joy is found in fellowship with God and with one another as we, as we trust and believe in Jesus Christ. As Stephen Cole writes, fellowship with God and with one another really are just the two great commandments, to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. The aim of the entire Bible is to help us glorify God as we experience the deep joy of a close relationship with him and close relationships with one another. As we grow in obedience to these two great commandments, we will grow in great joy, not only in this life, but also for all eternity. And so as I said from the beginning, while this is a call from the Apostle John to this particular community, it's also applicable for us, for all Christians. Because this will always be true. From the beginning to the end of days, the joy of the Lord is our strength, our hope, our life. And God wants, it, wants us to know it and experience it and be part of that joy. 
So if you're here this morning and you're not feeling that joy, if you're feeling joyless, then ask yourself, honestly ask yourself, what are you basing your joy on? What are you basing your joy on? Where are you actually looking for joy? Through experiences, entertainment, money, through unhealthy relationships, through doing whatever feels right to you? Or maybe you're feeling joyless because of something you lack. I was thinking about that this week and how we often have a tendency to place the subject of our joy or the level of our joy on things that we want or things that we don't have. Right? In other words, we feel joyless because we don't have that house we want or, or that car we want or because our, our bank account is empty and we don't have money or, or because we don't have a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or because we don't have all the answers about life and universe. We think that if we just get that one thing, then that's when we'll find joy. Then that's when we'll be satisfied. But let's be honest. We all know from experience that's not true. When we place our joy on earthly things or or knowledge or or money or whatever, those things don't last. The joy that we get from those things, they don't last. We always just need more. And don't get me wrong, it's not necessarily bad to have these things. But they become killjoys when when we turn them into idols that take the place of God as the source of our joy. This was the mistake... The community John's writing to me, they started chasing after things that they didn't have. Instead of focusing and finding their joy in the thing that they already had. And in doing so, they just drifted away from that joy. That free gift of joy that already received through faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. So again, if, if you're feeling joyless this morning, examine your heart. Ask yourself honestly, do you truly believe Are you truly trusting in Jesus? Is his grace sufficient? Are you abiding in his love? Are you pursuing and and spending time in fellowship with God through reading his word, spending time in prayer, and, and obeying his commandments? Are you pursuing authentic fellowship with other believers? Because as John adamantly declares to us here, if we have and do those things, we will have joy. If we trust in Jesus, if we pursue fellowship with God and one another, if we stand on the truth which we heard and received from the beginning, our joy will be complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would have its full effect on us this morning. Not only in in bringing conviction and and challenging us, Lord God, but but that it would just bring us uh, an immense amount of joy as we reflect on who you are, as as we're drawn to your word, as as we believe in this word, as we're drawn into your presence. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that that aren't feeling joyful, that are maybe struggling or hurting or feeling lost. Lord, I pray that you would, that your presence would would overwhelm them this morning, that that your Holy Spirit would just bring a, a joy 
an immense joy into their lives, Lord, even despite the circumstances that, that they're going through. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, we would be a community of joy, a people of joy. That you would teach us, even as we go through this series, Lord, what it, what it truly means to have authentic fellowship with one another. And that as we do, we would just grow in that joy. And Lord, bottom line, we just thank you so much for the joy of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you did send that word of life that existed from the beginning, your son, into creation. To live the perfect life we couldn't live. To die on the cross in our place. To forgive us of our sins. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice in what you've done for us. And we give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.